Welcome back to another episode of Touchline Thoughts powered by the Garage Door Sports Network. I'm your host, Stefan Manchi. Today, we're going to cover the EPL and some Champions League. But before we get started, grab a seat. We'll catch you in about 30 seconds. Our guest for today is Josh Dadshow. The last time he was on episode 13, the two of us discussed the use of language, kneeling, the protests during COVID-19, and the potential implementation of sensitivity training, as well as increased screening of professionals in the game. We had a great conversation, so I do recommend to everyone that please listen to that episode. Um, but without further ado, Josh, welcome back to the show. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me again. How are you? Uh, wonderful. Always good. excited to talk soccer. Great to see your yeah, face. Uh, it's good to see yours too. Uh, recently, you just started a new role at the Senate. So I wanted to congratulate you on that. Thank Super you. proud of you, man. That's like Thanks. amazing news when you told us. I was like, yo, this dude is going places. It's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. It was, um, no, it, it's, it's a continuation of a lot of what I've been doing, but it's great to have the recognition and, uh, it feels good, man. It feels good. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Uh, Josh is one of the hardest working people I know. He's always doing something, always busy. Um, so appreciate him taking the time out of his day to, to meet with us. Yeah. I would say that I think that some would also use that to describe you, my friend. I think you're uh, <laughs> a really hardworking guy too. <laughs> appreciate uh, that. So, uh, no, it's a high compliment coming from you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's start our starting 11 today brought to you by Shenzi Shack. Don't forget to give the Shack and Chef Sab a follow on Instagram as we bring you cuisines from around the world. They deliver and are available for pickup in the Vancouver area. All right, buddy, let's start with the EPL. It's been quite the season. A lot of surprises at the top of the table, a lot of surprises, even at the bottom of the table. And, um, and every week that we seem to discuss it, there's always movement. There's always something happening. Uh, why don't we start at the bottom of the table? It's the same three teams, uh, Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield. Sheffield is currently playing Fulham and are down one nothing. Uh, do you see these three teams being the weakest in the EPL so far? Yeah, I mean, the EPL is always a strong league, right? So to be the weakest in the EPL, you're still a decent team. But uh, there needs to be a bottom. And it looks like so far it's these three. We're starting to get past the point of the season where things will change significantly. The numbers are starting, to, the standings are starting to solidify. And um, and we're going to talk about it later, but we're seeing that, especially at the top of the table, the bottom will follow soon. So um, I think those three teams, you know, I, I'd have to check the points, but it seems from my recollection, you're, you're yeah, you're definitely, yeah, you're definitely, um at a hole and you need to do something you need to string a couple of wings wins together you know if you can string maybe three or four in a row you might be getting somewhere but but you know look at their schedules coming up can they beat those three or four teams in a row you know, so they might have to get ready to head down to uh the championship next year of course i mean we look at sheffield who's sitting in 20th they did pick up some wins this season but they have 11 points and above them West Brom has 14 and Fulham has 19 19. the closest team to Fulham is Newcastle and there's a six point difference that's Mm -hmm. that's you gotta hope that Newcastle drops two or three losses for you to actually overcome them there and then Sheffield's next match is against Liverpool and albeit Liverpool struggling but it's still going to be a tougher match it's exactly right it's um you're when you're in a position where other people losing is your best chance mm-hmm. you're in a bad position <laughs> so yeah. it, it seems yeah. to me that uh that we're probably seeing these three teams go down uh to the next division next year um but who knows maybe they'll come back unless they can make you know never say never but math is also you know it's important it's true well usually uh inconsistency over the last 15 to 20 years in the EPL it's been you need to get to at least 40 points to be safe and that's asking these bottom three teams to win 10 more games and to me that seems like yeah <laughs> no monumental it's, it's, feat. we're already past the halfway point so they would have to be uh left to win out would, the season yeah exactly they'd have to be significantly <laughs> better and you know it's just 
again, right? It's and and you see these teams play. They're definitely playing with uh, a lot of. They're playing well, but the the chat. Well, not as well, obviously, because they're losing. But the challenge is, is that you're in a world class league, and so you need to perform valiantly. You know a number of games a year to really get to where you need to go. And they're just not doing that. No, of course. Why don't we look over at the other half of the table where Man City is currently cruising with a massive 10 point lead over United and second, then you have Leicester and United tied for second uh, here with 46 points. Chelsea picked up a point earlier today. So they're in fourth with 43 points. West Ham, West Ham being the surprising team here. They're in fifth with 42 points. And then you have the two Merseyside teams with Liverpool and and Everton rounding up the top seven. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've said this constantly. This is cities to win, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, Jurgen Klopp last week uh, conceding the championship although kind of admirable was also a little funny because it was like, Oh, I thought you knew. Um, and honestly, Liverpool had a, had a playing problem before they had a point problem. You're seeing a lack of, uh, you're seeing, you're seeing the past couple of years of success wearing on the team. They, when you're that successful, you play more games that has an impact and then you lose some key players. So that makes your, your vibe, um much you know your your cohesion within the team much tougher um and so you know liverpool is not in it um um the 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 number the just the math is too big for lister or man or man U to catch up but i think if you look at man city you know when they get on the pitch they do what they're supposed to do they maintain position uh possession they score some good goals um, they they dominate as they're supposed to. You know, I was just watching the the Everton highlights, and this is a talented team that knows how to play. So it doesn't make any. It doesn't surprise me that they're they're cruising. Um, this is theirs to lose, and I think that they'll secure it relatively early. And we're gonna be moving on to next season. Um, Very quick. Yeah. yeah. City have not lost, I believe, since October, November, or dropped points for that matter. They. Since the start of the year, they've won like 10 consecutive top flight matches. Like they're, for some reason, like obviously COVID hit them and everyone was like, oh, you know, they still have games in hand. No one really looked at them. And all of a sudden they start consistently winning. And and it isn't that it's boring football. It's actually pretty good. Entertaining football. Yeah. And it's, it's not like, you know, an Arsenal game a week away at West Brom. No offense, but it's like, that was a good game. But at the same time, you're like, well. West Brom shouldn't even win this game. So that, that's a result that you need. Um, but City's been, they play attractive football no matter who their opponent is. And I think that's yeah. that's kudos to Pep. Um, yeah, that's kudos absolutely. To this group. Uh, they've gotten better. There's no injuries, knock on wood mm-hmm. for them this mm-hmm. year. They're they're healthier. And if you compare to what Liverpool had last year when they were healthy, they were consistent yeah. and they were able to win. No, champions are consistent and they win. Um, they're consistent and they're winning. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, it sounds like really obvious, right? But there's really, there's two types of champions. Those who are consistent in their winning and those who kind of barrel their way through championships and, you know, might drop the odd game here or there, but somehow outperform themselves. That was Leicester in, uh, was that 15 or 16, their championship Correct. season, right? Like yeah. it was this, wow, you guys are really good. Um, eventually you might drop a couple, but you just, you end up making it there. And that also happens sometimes when everyone else underperforms. But um, at this point in time, Man City has really put themselves at a class uh, all their own, and yeah. um, it's their shoes. Oh, agreed. They have they're seventeen five and two currently. Um, last year uh, was the opposite story. They had nine losses, but they still finished twenty six three and nine. This year, they're uh, a different version of themselves. And then you mm-hmm. compare it to Liverpool. Liverpool's eleven seven and seven. Mm-hmm. They had an overall of three losses last year in the league. So that that already tells you that Liverpool again is a step away from their potential. But can yeah. we say that injuries? And I know I keep saying it, but it, it has to massive factor here is an injury. Like something's off in the in the back line. I think that there's injuries, but I also think that some of the things no team is perfect. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that were were probably their weak spots are much more glaring. Um I wouldn't say that Allison was usually a weak spot, but we need to take a moment and acknowledge <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. how 
it was two games in a row where it was it was just bad bad goalkeeping bad defending yeah. um i think they have a trent alexander arnold problem he is a fantastic offensive player but what we're seeing is that van dyke used to cover him way more than we thought mm-hmm. or at least or something happened on that back line where he's now still playing that way you know i would observe him almost taking a forward position at time and kind of think dude what are you doing up there you need to you're still a defenseman so you have an issue with someone who either you need to strengthen him in the, in the back position and keep him further back mm-hmm. or you need to just switch him into the midfield I yeah. think you, you can't you can't continue doing that because if you observe a lot of teams take advantage of him yeah. and a lot of chances come off of his poor defending. Of course. And I think that it was maybe good when you had Van Dyke on the line and you had Fabinho playing well in that middle and you had a you had a strong defensive core there, but that might not work well now. Um, no. The last thing I'll say about, about Liverpool is that and the reason why I'm pretty confident those are those issues, and you also have issues in the midfield, is that the top three of uh, Salah, Mane, and uh, Firmino, they're still they're still doing what they have to do. When they're given the opportunities, they'll score. We saw that in the uh, Champions League over the over the week, and um, it's clear to me that going forward, they're not going to be the issues. But um, you're going to have to make the right kind of moves to secure yourself in the midfield. And especially at the back end, and 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 injuries might not solve that, right? Injuries yeah. might not be enough. Mm-hmm. One note I wanted to make before we go on, just about Man City and Pep Guardiola. He has to now be in the conversation for one of the greatest coaches ever. Like already with what he did at Barca was amazing, and and subsequently, but I think that coming into the league, uh, taking a team, obviously a good team, but taking a team and bringing his style of football into England and pushing forward. Um, in that way and and dominating the league in the way that he has been of course things are falling their way but dominating his coaching you have Jose Marino there who's who's you know kind of doing okay you have um, Klopp who's not you know who's who's having these issues and so you got to give him credit for how how he's been uh, coaching these teams so far well he's always found a way to win no matter where he where he coaches whether that's at Barcelona um or Bayern or now with City I think for him he's a serial winner um trophies is a thing like he needs a trophy per year for him to be you know remotely happy about the performance but at the same time he's changed the culture of of soccer in England in in terms of like you see a lot more possession plays yeah team you or you see what the Klopp style is they're a lot more pressing so these coaches these international coaches are coming in and they're changing the future it isn't just Mm -hmm. uh the defense is going to hack a ball up uh, to their striker like this isn't kids soccer anymore this is like no. this is professional they're confident players they're players that you think uh normally you know kyle walker goes from spurs to city and i was like well i don't know if he's good with the ball and all of a sudden you, you when he plays he's able to control the play he's able to make a move like he's improved players substantially like they're just much better they're more attractive like raheem sterling again another good example yeah. was a yeah. dynamic winger but now he's become that threat that every game you go okay if we don't cover sterling we're in trouble well and this is what he had done at, at, at both at Bayern, but barca especially barca had so many threats right mm-hmm. and that's because he designed a system of play that did that and now you're seeing that with man city where you you also you got sterling you got bernardo silva you got um Number seven, who scored against Everton, uh, is it Pendo Fendo? I forget. But um, uh, Foden is for Foden, yes, Paul yeah. Foden. You know he he Phil Foden. He, yeah, he's got some weapons. He's got some weapons, yeah. and and that's one of the things he's always been really good at is taking a team with some good tools and just making it you know run smoothly. So mm-hmm. no kudos to him. Yeah, and at one point he had Kevin De Bruyne playing a false nine striker role, and you're Yo. like, "Excuse me, that works," <laughs> and that's scary. Yeah, that's terrifying. Once you get that working, you're like, "Oh, there's not, uh, it's not a whole lot that you can do to stop those combinations." So, no, you know, of you course, and you can toss on the Ilkay, and- you can uh, toss Ilkay Gunuwan in there, who played like a more uh, reserved role at at Dortmund, and now he's just mm-hmm. scoring goals. <laughs> right. like, like it's just yeah. ridiculous what they're yeah. getting out of their players and yeah. uh, i think 
most of that has to do with the fact that their defense actually looks good. Yes. It, and that's why they're good. confident going forward. Um, I think Ruben Diaz has come in with Emily Laporte or John Stones for that matter and just worked and it's, and it's found a way to pay off and it's mm-hmm. low risk and they're doing well. Yeah. It's always good to have a defensive, uh, a defensive set that, that makes you confident that can definitely come up and help. And uh, when you're playing the possession in the top half, I hold that back line, you know, with a level of solidity, rigidity, and uh, coming on a corner kick as well. I think that you have that defense does what it needs to do in, in all ends. And um, mm-hmm. and it shows, like, you know, just a comparison between them and, and Liverpool. Um, you could have a really solid, I mean, arguably, I, I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily say that if you were to take Man City strikers, you would have a better core than, um, than Liverpool striker, but I would say that from the midfield down, um, you have a far superior team. Again, they're healthier, they're it's fortunate, mm-hmm. they're clicking, but um, this just isn't, you know, Liverpool, a lot of flash, but this isn't their season. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good to, but the rest of that, and it's, and it's always kind of interesting because now it's like, do we care about who is two, three, four, or do we, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to look at now. Yeah, especially because these two are arguably, when healthy, the two best clubs in England. There's, I, yeah. I don't think there's a doubt about no. it. There's just yeah. a bit of a discrepancy now. And uh, I think Liverpool's reasonable goal is to to finish top four right now and not worry about a championship and just find consistent play, especially with their new boys uh, in the in the back end there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be uh, tough for them to do that. But um, they definitely, if they can string a couple wins together, but it'll take uh, finding that right combination to kind of get them through. Yeah, I think they have to play out of Anfield for a little bit, considering they've lost four in a row there. Uh, uh, yeah, their Champions League match against um, Leipzig will have them as home, but I don't think the game's in England. So I think staying out of England for a little bit or out of their home field here, it's just I think they need a breather and just find a way to reset. Let's talk about the teams quickly in the middle there. United yeah. found a way to, to sort of pop into to second there. They struggled to start the season, but they've been playing some good football. I mean, Leicester plays this attractive possession fire sort of game. And then Chelsea with their new manager and Thomas Tuchel has taken them from eighth and ninth to fourth now. And then obviously that surprise team I mentioned, West Ham United. United yeah. Out of the four there, it, West Ham has to be the surprise, no? Of course, of course. I think that, and you know, it'll be important to see if they're going to last through the season because sometimes you'll see teams jump a bit higher in the table than what they're really what they're really going to end up as. But I'm hopeful that, uh, I, I, you know, if I'm if I'm them, I'm hopeful that they can potentially land a top four spot. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, um, they're playing much better. I think the addition of Thomas Suchek has really changed the complexion of this team. And David Moyes has found a way to get his his team to actually work. Like they're they look good. Um, yeah. Chelsea has improved defensively with Thomas Tuchel coming mm-hmm. in. A massive thing that they were struggling with um, in terms of energy, in terms of getting their midfield to really run around. Um, do you mind if we talk a little bit about your Arsenal there? They've um, They've been playing consistent. Like, don't get me wrong. They have 10 yeah. wins, but they also have that paired with 10 losses. They sit yeah. in 10th. Uh, look, 10, 10, 10. But um, is, this is a question that I have to ask. Is Mikel Arteta, like, is he doing the right thing with this, with this squad? Or is, is there so many holes in this team that this is a position that you're probably going to see them in parts of the season? To continue, I should say. So I think the question would have to be how long are you giving Arteta? You have a young team. Mm-hmm. You have um, some really promising weapons with uh, Aubameyang is obviously great, but Saka is showing that he can be a reliant scorer. He's hungry. Um, and they got some other players on that squad who, who I think there's potential. I think the question is, does he need better weapons? Does he need, are there, do we need to upgrade the team a little bit? Maybe, maybe that might help. Or is it that he has the right tools? Now, um, you have a back line that's a bit older. So maybe, maybe dealing with some of the players there might be helpful. So it really, you know, but I agree with you. It's been, um, they've been playing with some level of consistency, but this is where you see the difference between, you know, champions, because I don't, I don't know that Obamayang or Saka are less talented than a Bernardo Silva, but they don't have that pedigree. 
they don't have that mindset and that's maybe one of the things that Mikel Arteta can't give is you know he was a he was a great player for Arsenal but maybe he's missing that kind of pedigree to communicate to his players right you play for Pep you play for a champion you you kind of buy into that yeah. mindset completely so we'll different mentality to, yeah. exactly so we'll have to see I mean it's reasonable I think for this season and I can't recall if this is Arteta's first or second season um, second second yeah. yeah so i think that after this season you know if uh if there's not some signal that there's significant changes coming you might start getting some level of frustration and and uh because arsenal should consistently be a top six team maybe yeah. they're not making it every year but they should definitely be consistently a top six team yeah. and so um i'm hopeful he's had a full yeah he's definitely had a full year now uh yeah. they finished eight last year sitting yeah. 10th this year but yeah yeah so and i think that like um as Saka gets better, they might be able to to jump up a bit in the table. But above them is above them is a tough class. I mean, above them is the Wolves aren't doing half bad. You got you got Tottenham, you got Everton, you got you got some teams above them that are you know that aren't doing half bad. So I think sorry, the Wolves are behind them, but the yeah. but they've been going back and forth. So you know they're basically at the same space. So. Um, it will not be acceptable for Arsenal to be a bottom, a, a bottom tier uh, team. Um, so Mikel Arteta's days definitely. Are, I, if I'm him, I'm I'm definitely acknowledging that my days are numbered. Yeah. At this pace, but I think that this potential, the off season will be the big difference maker, right? And I think that their performance in the Europa League, they did okay against Beneficia. Uh, again, uh, Saka did a did scored then so. Um, yeah, I am hopeful, but it is yeah. tough. It is tough seeing them uh, go so so. No, for sure. I mean, if you take away their ten losses, which is like the, the massive striking number, like their their ten losses is at the bottom. Like you look at Southampton, who's have ten. Crystal Palace has eleven. Um, you know, Fulham is at eleven. So like, and Fulham's at the bottom there, right? So, I mean. <sighs> I look at it, if they can change those losses to wins, this team is much better than, they, than they're than they in position for. Mm-hmm. So we'll take, a, we'll take a break now. Uh, and when we come back, we'll talk some Champions League. So uh, stay tuned, guys. What up, guys? It's your host, Nick McVicker. And if you are looking for a weekly sports podcast to fill your sports needs, you've come to the right place. Garage Door Sports hosted by myself, Kyle Vardy, and Irfan Manji brings you all the up-to-date news, notes, and opinions on everything in the sporting world. If you like good conversation, good friends, and a lot of jokes being thrown around, you've come to the right place. Don't forget to check us out on all your favorite streaming sites, and we will make sure we bring you content every Saturday right here on Garage Door Sports. We are back for our extra time segment. Uh, Josh, Champions League time. Uh, there was a couple of matches, a couple of set of matches, uh, round of 16 this past week. Liverpool, Leipzig, Barcelona, PSG, Sevilla, Dortmund, and Juve and Porto. Why don't we start with Tuesday? We talked about Liverpool and their struggles, but this was a completely different game for them. They won 2-0 against Leipzig. Uh Initial thoughts on this game? I'll tell you, I think that although they won, it doesn't necessarily show that they're, they still have their same problems, right? Leipzig's got a, a good a number of chances, and I mentioned a few of them, or at least one of them specifically came over Alexander-Arnold. But it did show that the top three are still in good form and that you can't make any mistakes with Sadio Mane or Mohamed Mosala up there and so it's a good win it's a win it's a win in the champions league so that's nothing <laughs> to start win. That's, that's so, important goals exactly exactly it's an extremely important win but um i think that you know it doesn't necessarily say much about their ability to go and win at all yeah yeah a lot of defensive blunders and again it comes down from the right hand side of liverpool where angelino had ample of room on multiple chances mm-hmm. to get a shot away just couldn't hit the target but there's one thing Liverpool did really well this game and it's kudos to to them actually finding that gear was forcing mistakes Leipzig mm-hmm. made a lot of mistakes moving back that right side of their defense and Upamecano who arguably had Diego Costa in his pocket last year in the in the Champions League quarterfinals he wasn't able to really work off of it because this team was fast they used their pace to get around 
get around him and his defense. And I think the counter and the pace that Liverpool possesses, see that, that, that thing you keep mentioning is like, they still have those three guys at the front that people forget about when their defense is struggling, but when they're going to find space, they're going to score. Yeah. I think you, what you were saying earlier about Jurgen Klopp and his, uh, the pressure tactics up front really do suit those three players. Well, um, you can't say enough about how hard um, that front line works. Um, you know, Mo Salah didn't just luck into that. You know, he put himself in the position. He created himself some space. And Sadio Mane did the same thing. And I'll, I will say that I think that this is why you can be pretty hopeful for Liverpool to maintain a certain level of uh, of success and of and of uh, prestige in the next in the years to come, because they'll have players like that up front, and because with players like that, it's a lot easier to bring other good players to your side. Of course, and and it's just a we'll call it a one-off year, but we'll see if that we'll <laughs> if see. that sticks around, right? But overall, a great performance to take two important away goals from Leipzig and a team that usually is defensively sound did struggle. Uh, I will warn them though, Liverpool especially to watch out for this team because hey, they're resilient. They're gonna scrap away, and they do sit pretty in second in the Bundesliga. So this team hasn't been poor; they just had a rough performance. Exactly. Exactly. Let's move over to the the next Tuesday matchup. This was PSG against Barcelona. PSG absolutely throttled oh Barcelona. My gosh. This was a game where we saw Kylian Mbappe, that defense to midfield to forward passing. They had Marco Accardi. They had uh, Moises Keane playing deep. Like this PSG team absolutely dismantled, arguably the best team in the last 20 years. Or like I guess in terms of that dynasty that was built by Barcelona, I mean they don't have yeah. all the same players, but in the sense that 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 massive name that's associated with Barcelona, it just seemed to kind of fall. Well, I mean we've we've been seeing this for the last three or so years. You know, you got you got Iniesta retiring, you got Xavi retiring. You start bringing in some players, and it's not working out for you. And um, it's very clear that uh that Barcelona is, is having is having some issues mm-hmm. and needs to make some real changes to its team. Um some of those players are are too old to be leading the team in the way that they are. Um this team is not mobile enough at this point. I'm thinking of guys like Busca, um, you know, Pique in the in the defensive middle, he's an excellent defenseman, but you know, that model of having the tall, strong defenseman doesn't always work. You know, we're seeing it work in Liverpool, but you also have a very fast team around. So I don't know. You have you have some really serious issues with Barcelona and um they were playing well to start. Um I got to watch the first half in full, but it didn't surprise me. Um, you know, that first Mbappe goal there was just such skill from PSG in that goal. Um, but on the flip side, you have a Barca team that isn't mobile. That's kind of just standing still. So it's just talking about pedigree, talking about mentality. This isn't a champion team. They're sitting mm-hmm. third in uh, in the La Liga. And I think there are a number of points behind. Um, behind. Uh, uh, behind. Yeah. Yeah. They're like really not in the, in the, in the run. So, no, I think that... Um, <laughs> You know, I must say Messi must be regretting not following through with this threat because he would have had a really different season at this point if he was in Man City. But um, I think that this might really truly be his last season. I think mm-hmm. he, we might even see him try to jump like as soon as possible um, because he's not seeing the changes that he was hoping for. I think that um, PSG on the other side is an excellent team. They're playing very strong, uh, young, dynamic core. And Kylian Mbappe, you know, I um, I know that there's still word about him moving around, maybe going to Real, or I heard last I heard Liverpool was high in the run. But I think there would be a lot of value for him to stick where he is and uh, make that team uh, a, a contender. It's always a contender in France, but a contender on the global stage. Um, there might be something for him there. Or he's, he's still young, so he could still do another three seasons there and move and still not yet be in the prime of his career, right? So... Yeah. Um, kind of, kind of what you say saw Ronaldo do with Manu before moving to Real Madrid. Yeah, definitely a stepping stone before he finds his next team. I mean, Barcelona did go into this game at a super high. They'd won five in a row, playing some good, consistent football. Messi was scoring a goal other than a penalty at that point. Um, and then you look over at PSG, who's also sitting third in in Liga with 
you know, 54 points. And also they haven't been convincing as much um, with Lille and Lyon really leading that league. But they also came in pretty confident uh, without Neymar and without um, Di Maria. And they still found a way to basically suffocate this, this yeah, team. Yeah, they outclassed I mean, them. Yeah. Of course. And I, I mean, this is... Like you said, this is something we've seen the last three years. And when we go back to that Roma tie and the Liverpool tie for Barcelona and even the Bar- the Bayern Munich tie, it's just for some reason they'll start well and then they just collapse. And it's something that I don't think has been fixed. Um, obviously, Jared Piquet used to be fast and being able to cover so much ground, but he also had Danny Alves on the right side helping mm-hmm. him out and he doesn't have that no more. And Jordi Alba's legs, as much as he's going to go up, he can't, be your, he can't be your best defender every night when... Yeah. Right. And and how much are you going to rely on Messi? So definitely um, management, especially with their presidential um, elections, they're going to have to change the dynamic of this team. They're going to have to stop playing, paying other teams for players they already have on their team with co- uh, clauses or bonuses. And yeah. I think that also hurts them when they're like trying to save money and they're like, but we also need yeah. to be competitive. Yeah, the business model is definitely broken. And I think that when you have Philip Coutinho scoring a hat-trick against you in the Champions League, and that's your player on loan, yeah, like, something is wrong. So, no, I I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm hoping that they... Barca is a team I love very dearly. And I'm hoping that um, they can find a way. I think one of the things that this is doing, though, um, their inability to have success is worse than just their business or their cha- the trophies, but it's also future recruitment, right? Like, it, you Barcelona should reasonably be competing for the likes of Mbappe and the likes of, you know, and, like, so on and so forth. They should be a hotspot, and they haven't been in the last couple of years. And maybe it's because people don't want to play in Messi's shadow, although I don't think that's a very legitimate thing. Maybe it's because they're seeing a team and an organization that isn't growing and flourishing, right? Like, I mm-hmm. think they've had debt issues as well. So this is somewhere where you want to go play, right? You don't have mm-hmm. these highlights in the news with other teams like Real or Liverpool or or uh, any, you know, French teams or Italian teams. So it, I think that's the, what are going to be part of their long-term challenges is how do we bring in good players on the other side Barca has had a fantastic academy you know they produced Messi I believe Iniesta and Xavi and PK out of there like a number uh, of players PK was came. not but those yeah, the, the two former so yeah the two uh yeah. Ansu Fati's and Pedri's there yeah Puyo like and this they team also, has like Sanchez like they produced really good players so maybe that's one of the things they also need to recommit to yeah. is is their own in-house pr- uh, yeah. production recruitment's massive when they brought in a young alexis sanchez this team was great they brought in a young neymar uh, i mean neymar left because he didn't want to be in the shadow of messi and i think that's a legitimate argument when you're considered the top three top four players in the entire world but again barcelona has to hit a reset button and i think that depends on the decision they make with leo does leo stay or does leo go and then that will be I guess a segue to seeing if they're rebuilding or they're or they're just trying to build around Messi continually. Well, the way the organization has been going, I think that reset button needed to be hit three years ago, right? Like when you're in a championship position, you you reset sooner than later because you're going to have the dip. Mm-hmm. If you do it at a strategic time, you can get back to winning sooner. That's and true. so they've already passed that point. I also don't know the decision about whether or not Messi stays in their hands. Uh, because they they might want him to stay, uh, especially if they're not willing to make the significant changes. They might want to continue to put the hopes of dreams of the team on his back. But I, you know, if I'm messy, I'm kind of looking at Cristiano Ronaldo and thinking, what's that like? You know, what's that like? <laughs> yeah, you know, playing for my third club in a major role in a major league and having success and playing with different people and, you know, being important, but you're seeing uh, Ronaldo and Juventus, you know, it's not on his back. And if he doesn't show up one night, and I think that must have been fun for, if he doesn't show up one night, it's on the end of the world. And must have been fun for Messi to be that guy when he was at his prime, but now at a time in his career when he's still really good, but he can't carry a whole team on his back and he still wants to win championships. Yeah. You know, that's important. It's a little tough, but again, not to take away from PSG, they were phenomenal. No, they were phenomenal, um, right? Team, like yeah. they were just, a, that was just, I think arguably I, this is their best performance I've seen in a really long time, even though they made the finals last year, uh, this was probably the best performance I've seen in a while from them. Yeah, they clicked. And um, we were seeing earlier, like Liverpool's win 
doesn't necessarily show that they might win at all. I think that PSG's win shows their capacity to go the distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, finding ways to score. Uh, let's move over to Wednesday's uh, game schedule. Dortmund beat Sevilla 3-2. This was a game where uh, Erlen Haaland came out and said that if Mbappe is going to do what he does, I'm going to come out and do the same thing. And he had two goals and was brilliant for, for Dortmund. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a good win. Um, they're both good teams. Sevilla is doing pretty well in, well, top four, I believe, in, in uh, Correct, uh, yeah. La Liga. And so, uh, and Dortmund as well, a, a staple in, on the Germans. Uh, they are German struggling, league, so. though. In the, they are struggling in the German league. So this was quite a shock in terms of uh, being able to pull out a win away from home. Yeah I, I, yeah, I definitely agree with you. You know, it's one of those things where you wonder how, you know, it's it's you don't want to say it, but these are two teams that are likely not not necessarily. Well, Dortmund could present a threat, but, you know, I'd be surprised if Sevilla gets past in the quarterfinals but um still it's a it's a good uh if if there if there's a black horse this is a game to look at and one of these two teams might emerge but especially Dortmund there's a good chance uh that they might come out and, and make some damage but no it was it was a good game for sure it was game. yeah I think if you're Dortmund moving forward is you can't allow a goal in the first 10 minutes of the game they had a shaky start they this has to do with the mentality going to the game again like I mentioned from the German Bundesliga they sit in sixth right now not convincing at that point and i think that slow start hurt them but at the same time when you have bursting speeds and young talent that's able to change the the, the course of the game that, that that really helped them and helped them get three away goals and now they're going to go play a home fixture and just be like hey come at us because yeah <laughs> i'm going to burn you if you if you make a mistake <laughs> no exactly i, I couldn't agree more yeah. No. Well, good game. Well, we'll keep an eye out for Sevilla. They've been perennial Europa League champions and we're played an attractive bit of football the last 15 to 20 minutes, but a little too late for for them after, you know, going down 3-1 to the in the first half. Moving on to the next game, Porto the upset, I guess we can call Controversial it. Controversial ending. <laughs> oh, that was. We'll talk about that. But Porto beating Juve 2-1 with two early goals in the first half by um, a mistake by the Juve defense. And then this, the second goal that Porto scored, there was two Porto players and eight Juve players, and Porto still came out with a goal. Uh, going down early in a game is difficult, but then conceding twice at the start of the halves, that, that changes the game, does it not? No, absolutely. I think the the dynamics of timing, um, they play very deeply psychologically. Scoring that that goal at the first minute, um, you know, for one example is is scoring, getting dominated, and that team being frustrated because they can't get through and they lose by that one goal after ninety minutes of play. Right, like scenarios like that, you can see how it, it plays psychologically on the players. It's a long game; it's an hour and a half that you're out on the pitch, and so. I think that coming out early and doing well early is always better. Um, mm-hmm. You want to be striking first, and you want to be sh- uh, and and so that's always better. Um, but this was especially important because Juve is a better team. Yes. Um, they did play better overall on paper, exactly. And they had definitely some flashes and some moments, and they still got. I believe that they were that Juve was the away team, and so they still got that point, that goal away. So that's gonna matter. Yeah. It'll be important to see in the next game. I, I definitely don't think uh, that this, you know. PSG versus Barca is probably a done deal, but I, I think that Porto Juve is still an open discussion. Um, and I imagine that if we're talking about psychology, that supposedly missed penalty on Ronaldo at the end is going to be uh, something that they might want to come back out and uh, and really deal with pretty aggressively. Um, of course, that, that might be fueling their aggression in the next <laughs> probably I think the biggest thing for Juve and Andre Pirlo especially is another early goal you got to stop those happening and Juve struggled in this 3A because of you know going down earlier or just not finishing their opportunities and full marks to Porto their defensive shape the entire game like I watched that game they, it was just behind the ball waiting for a yeah. mistake and they yeah. capitalized on the mistake and Juve when Aaron Ramsey came into that game, that's what changed Juve's attack because he was actually willing to go past the layers of defensive uh, structure that Porto had and try and find that final pass. And full marks, again, to Porto for holding Ronaldo at bay. I mean, if you look at it, as much as Ronaldo was trying to find the ball, <laughs> he wasn't getting the ball as often or in good opportunities. And then like that controversy play that you just mentioned, he finally gets the ball, brings it down, tries to cut back, and it's taken out. 
Uh, well, you, is that a penalty in your eyes? It is. It is. Okay. I think that his first touch was clear and um, he came, he got crashed into. I think that the, uh, the ref should have gone to VAR at the very least. I think that whistling down, mm-hmm. maybe the UVA players should have, you should have tossed the ball out uh, to the sides and, and tried to do something. Maybe, you know, I, there should have been a bit of an effort, but I think it was such a, the play would have been such a crucial play that I think there was this assumption that it was going to get checked. And yeah. so when the ref just ended the game, it was, I think it was disappointing. Well, he prematurely blew his whistle and we thought, oh, that's a VAR check. And then it just ends the game. Yeah. I will say though, the Ronaldo play, when he brought, brings it down, he brings it down, he makes him move, but it looks like he's already falling. And I mm-hmm. think the contact is made on his way down. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's where the, the refs was standing. I think he saw Ronaldo slipping. And yeah. that's why he, I think that's Maybe. why he was waved off. But I think if you're, if you're any roughing federation, you got to take a look at that and say, okay, there's contact on the way down. Is that enough for a penalty? I think, I think you need to do your due diligence and, and go and go to the screen. I think you need yeah. to go to the VAR and, and check, especially but, if it's there. And, and I think that if he had done VAR and then insisted, no, you know, that wouldn't have changed much. The ball was in that half. So you're just switching possession. But Porto, but Juve was having significant pressure. Um, I will say to your point about Porto's defense, um, that's what you. Ha- that's how you have to play. And um, usually you go play that way, hoping for a draw. So the fact that they came out with a win shows that they were really successful. So we'll have to see how things go in the next game. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty. Uh, it's this is definitely, you know, the other games. I think you're probably Sevilla and Dortmund might be pretty interesting and. Um, I'm really interested in seeing Atletico versus Chelsea and, and how that's going to go. But that might be the second leg that we're that we're going to be really interested in and might have a bit more controversy for us. For sure. Well, since you mentioned Atletico and Chelsea, let's get to uh, this coming week's schedule. Four juicy matchups, I should say. Atletico, Chelsea, like you already mentioned, Lazio, Bayern, Atalanta, Real Madrid, Muchin Gladbach, Man City. Uh, why don't you pick your winners for this leg and then we'll check in next week to see if we got it right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Um, uh, I think Real, Bayern, and Man City are going to pull it out, especially Man okay. City. Okay. Uh, I think, it, it, you know, you might see a variation of how tight, but I think that those three teams are perennial champions. They're they're good. Chelsea yeah. Atletico is really the, the tough team. And, um, you know, Chelsea's been on the rise, and so this might be a breaking point for them. Atletico is, the, is, a, is an excellent team, but and I, th- and I think they're uh, leading in uh, La Liga right now. So I'm going to yeah. give it to Atletico. But I do think that there that that it's anyone's game for that game. Yeah. Let me it. ask. Let me ask you a question because this Go is this is a little interesting. What do you think this generation's this this generation of, of players turned coach? What do you think of it? Because you have because oh, we, see we so talked much about of it, yeah we talked about Mikel Arteta earlier, Andrew yeah. Pirlo. Um, you had Lampard that flamed out. Uh, which, if you ask me, I think that. It's not like Chelsea's going to go on to win it, so it might have been a bit premature to kick him out. I think it was, but, you know. Yeah, I agree. I think it was. Yeah. I think they should have waited till the end of the season to make that yeah. decision. Especially because he had issues like yeah, a guy like Tommy Abraham who wasn't performing all that well. I don't know that you could have totally pulled the pin in on the coach, but you have a number of player coaches. You have Wayne Rooney with Derby, but that's in the in the championship. Yeah, if uh, um, Steven Gerrard with the Rangers, yes, who are freaking ridiculous right now, like that gaming in the Europa where they kept going down but kept finding a way to bounce back and there's like 44 yeah. wins in 50 games or something under yeah dbg like i think it's a new trend and i think it's to go back to your question i guess um sorry did you finish asking it that was no the, but that was the, my kind of my question like, what are your okay. thoughts on that yeah do, do you think that we're gonna look back and say this was like a revolution or are we gonna go this was a fade it fad it was a terrible idea let's never do this again no, I think it's going to be the future. It's just because you look at a lot of the managers and the way they're aging, right? Like you see Klopp getting older, Mourinho's in his 50s, uh, Pep is getting older. Um, uh, Manuel Pellegrini with Rio Betis is one of the older managers in the game right now. Um, I think it's a changing of the guard because I think that happened almost 20, 30 years ago and Stalax mm-hmm. took over and a lot of former players started to coach right after that and sort of you, managers are always needed because someone's going to get fired no matter what. Um, but I really liked the the fact that there's like the Wayne Rooney's that are coaching now and the Stevie G's and the Lampires and the Oligono Solshires and Arteta because they're former players that 
recently just retired. So mm-hmm. they understand the game. They understand the pace. And they understand that from a player's perspective, this is how I want my players to be. But then they also understand it from a coaching perspective that you can't always get that or you need to adjust. So I do like the trend. I do like former players coming in. Um, the next coach that we're going to see that's a former player uh, is Xavi for Barcelona. I think that's going to be the next big hire because that game for Barcelona looked like Ronald Koeman's uh, Everton was playing uh, PSG. So it wasn't a great game, but no, it wasn't at all. And I think no. that you, there's, there's a value. I would definitely agree with you and a guy like Xavi because he is a master technician tactician. Um, I'm kind of interested in, in, and CVG was the same thing. Arteta, you know, it was when you get to and Lampard is the same thing. So those, those midfielders that run the team that run it, uh, that run the game and push forward and are really the center of operation in that, in that mm-hmm. field. That kind of makes sense for me that they would evolve into the coaching. They're also leaders, right? All, I think all three of those players served as captain at one point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder about a guy like Wayne Rooney. I mean, they're doing okay so far with Derby, but I wonder about, you know, a guy who is oh, just, they're not. <laughs> no, they're, not. <laughs> they're not doing okay. You're right. Uh, but you see, this is my point, right? Like what is, what is, because I think that, when you have someone like uh, like Wayne Rooney, who is really good at scoring goals, but didn't see a whole lot of daylight on the defensive end, how useful is that person as a coach, right? Well, like, are Rooney, we, we going to start seeing so, that? I will argue about Rooney, though. Rooney's played in virtually every position except the defensive role. Um, he came fair. up as a midfielder. He plays an attacker. He played anywhere that Fergie wanted him to. So yeah. he has that experience. But I think the, the, the difference here is you're comparing Stevie G, who's played as a distributor, as a leader, and as a voice in that locker room versus mm-hmm. Rooney, who just became a voice recently. So mm-hmm. uh, there's that comparison. But I think most players turn into managers eventually we're just seeing a little bit faster because um a it brings in more fans because you're seeing former players come in um when once their team like lampard when he went to city i think he took some chelsea fans to follow him there right Mm -hmm. and now he comes back and it's like well lamps is there this is fantastic this is what we're gonna do we're gonna follow this guy because we love him and there's more patience on that player yeah, and I think that's true. what these teams are doing is they're bringing in former legends and just finding patience. I think if, if Lampard struggled early in the season, the way he did now, he would have been fired if he was like Manuel Pellegrini or something. Absolutely, That's absolutely. the, that's the difference there. And I think, uh, I think it's changing of the guard. It just shows you that the, that it, this is how our teams are going to go. They need to bring in a legend to really, really sell your team because they're struggling. Yeah. And I wonder, and maybe, Xavi at Barca would be a good first step. That would be Xavi and Iniesta coming back together doing a, a one-two there um, would be good. Xavi Alonso is another name that um, a lot of people threw out. One, he was playing because of the way he thinks and the way he, he understands the game would be another player there. But um, as the managers get older, uh, I think we'll, we'll see a little bit more of that. Um, but there's only certain players that are built for coaching. Yeah, there's certain that, that yeah. are not. Like, I don't think if Sergio Aguero, no offense to him, became a coach, would he be successful? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, maybe with Boca Juniors, if you went back to, to Argentina, but yeah. I don't think he'd be successful at that high level. But if you were to say to me, uh, Fernandinho, and he becomes a coach, I, I could say to you, yeah, I actually see that happening. Yeah, I think, and I think, I think we're getting to that point where we're understand. I think in our conversation where it's clear, right? Because I think take someone like Messi, right? As excellent as a player that he is, when you're at that level of natural talent, it's hard to explain to other people how to get better because it's just like, just do what I do, right? Like yeah. it takes a very, <laughs> it takes a person who is very thoughtful and thorough, and it's difficult to be that thoughtful when you're playing at such a, such a natural elite level, right? Yeah. So. Um, and also you need someone who doesn't necessarily have a celebrity status or desire. So, I mean, to a certain extent. So I think Xavi, I think Iniesta, uh, Xavi Alonso wouldn't surprise me. You're right. I think, uh, you know, the the caliber of a, even in a couple of years, you could see someone, maybe this is a bit crazy, but someone like Harry Kane, maybe play that role, you know, like, I think that there's definitely, I definitely hear you in terms of the changing of the guard. But no, this is a this is a really fun time in football. There's a lot of talent, a lot of different places. Every league is up for the grabs, is up for grabs, and I'm hopeful that um, that these coaches will make a dent because this is like you're saying, it is fun to see Mikel Arteta. I remember very well when he was a player, and now seeing him as a as a as a coach is great. I'm just hoping that this goes well because if not, you know, because I think even Thierry Henry is. 
is he coaching now or is he yeah, he's, he's, co- in... he's coaching uh the impact uh, yeah exactly right? like... and now is being linked to bournemouth so you have a lot of players that yeah. understand the game that are so their high q is so huge that mm-hmm. they automatically a will get the respect the minute they walk in and b they'll get the time to to make mistakes and to mm-hmm. to change things around um whereas other coaches are not getting that opportunity anymore mm-hmm. fun stuff exactly all right we're gonna take one more quick break and then we'll come back with final thoughts Shea Creams is an all-natural and organic skincare brand. We ethically source our shea butter through our partners from West Africa. Our creams are then handmade with love in the UK, making sure our products are at the highest quality, maintaining their natural origins. Our purpose at Shea Creams is to deliver you the highest quality skincare line that fits your personal needs. You can purchase our products via our website www.sheacreams.com or via our Etsy shop Shea Creams or our Amazon. Thank you for listening, and we hope you love our brand. All right, Josh, man, that does it for our episode today. Do you have anything you want to say before we head out, or any soccer-related, any life-related, um, school-related, no. anything you want? <laughs> um, no, it's, it's always a great time to come on, I got to say. Um, I've really gotten to reco- reconnect with, uh, with soccer over the last few months, and it's been a really fun time. Um, I think the sport is in a really good place, um, and I uh, – you know, there's obviously a lot to grow, a lot of growth to happen in different ways. I think we, uh, we were in a golden age that we kind of, you know, uh, but to see, uh, to see in the EPL, for example, like a top, you know, that big six, uh, but that might be expanded now to maybe a big eight. If you have a team like Leicester that starts consistently becoming a threat and maybe another team, Right now it's West Ham, but maybe it's Everton, maybe you know, another team that starts. It's just fun to watch. So, yeah, no, I, I've really been loving it. For sure. Well, we always love having you on. So thank Thanks. you for hopping on. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and give us a like or a rating. You can also follow us on Twitter at TouchlineTH. You can follow me at Irfan Manji. Uh, again, thanks to Josh for coming on. Uh, don't forget to follow Garage Door Sports or check out the website, garagedoorsports.com and follow our segment sponsor, Shenzi Shack on Instagram oh, to order or to see their menu. Anyways, thanks everyone for listening. Have a wonderful week. Uh, keep your eyes out on the Champions League matches and keep your eyes out on our next episode as I got some pretty cool guests joining us soon. Have a wonderful day. Cheers. <laughs>